Hello, you guys, and welcome to part one of Scenes of Harriet Tubman. This is a book that is written by Mrs. Sarah H. Bradford um, for Harriet Tubman. Um, it has Harriet Tubman quotes. It has letters. It has so much information. I did not read the book. I am reading it for you guys right now through the FAIR Act. It does not have a copyright. It is in the Library of Congress, um, but... I still am using it just for educational purposes only, so there will not be any ads, there will not be any um, introduction or conclusion on, on any of these next um, podcasts because I want them to be super, super, you know, just for you guys, just so that you guys can hear them and learn from them and just soak it up. So it'll be small portions, like 45 minutes. Um, worth of the book and at, as I commentate on the book as we go along. So we're going to go through the whole book as I research your next story. So please enjoy the first part of Miss Harriet Tubman's book, Scenes of Miss Harriet Tubman's Life. I love you. Enjoy. Hello, my little teacups. Oh my goodness. So here we go with my little surprise for you guys, um, Harriet Tubman's book. Now, Harriet Tubman's book is in the Library of Congress and there is no copyright, but I want to just uh, say that I am not the owner of this book and this particular podcast that I'm using to, um, to share Harriet Tubman's book is for educational purposes only. I am not going to have any advertisements or anything on these particular podcasts because I will be making no money um, off of these podcasts. They are here for educational use. I want you guys to learn more about Harriet Tubman and her story and to hear from her um, exactly what happened. So we're going to start off um, on the book um, called Scenes of the Life of Harriet Tubman. And um, we are able to use this under the fair use law because we are using it for educational purposes only. All right, so now that we got past all of that, um, I'm going to start off with the introduction. Um, I'm going to read a little bit and then share my opinions with you because it's, it's, this is so good. All right, so the following little story was written by Mrs. Sarah H. Bradford, who we talked about in the last couple of um, episodes of Geneva with the single object of furnishing some help to the subject of the memoirs, Harriet Tubman's service and suffering during the rebellion, which are acknowledged in the letters of General Saxon, General Saxon and others. It was thought by many, it was thought by many would justify the bestowment of a pension by the government. Because remember, in the last episode, we found out that Harriet Tubman never got a pension for all the spy work that she did um, during the war. So I guess this book was to help her to get a pension. That's so interesting. But the difficulties in the way of um, procuring such relief suggest other methods and finally the present one. The narrative was prepared on the eve of the author's departure for Europe, where she still remains. It makes no claim whatever to literary merit. Her hope was merely that the considerable 
numerous public already in part acquainted with Harriet's story would furnish purchase would furnish purchases enough to secure a little fun for relief of this remarkable woman outside this circle she did not suppose the memoirs would likely to meet with much if any sale and we know from the last um from the last thing she got twelve hundred dollars in 18 in the 1800s so it actually added up to twenty six thousand dollars so she wind up making a good amount to be able to live off of um until her death so that's pretty cool oh my goodness i'm so excited <laughs> okay in furtherance of the same beloved scheme and in order to secure um the whole avails of the work for harriet's benefit a subscription has been raised more than sufficient to defray the entire cost of publication. This has been affected by the generous exertion of William G. Wise, Esquire of the city. The whole amount was contribu contributed by citizens of Auburn with the exception of two liberal subscriptions by Gwyneth Smith, Esquire and Mr. Wendell Phillips. Mr. Wise also Cons consented with Mrs. Bradford's request to act as trustee for Harriet and will receive, invest, and apply for her benefit, whatever may occur for, from the sale of this book. The spirited wood, the, the spirited woodcut likeness of Harriet is her costume as scout was furnished by the kindness of Mr. James C. Darby. And if you look at, um, there is a picture on one of the episodes where Harriet is standing straight and it's kind of like a drawing of her. That's the picture that they're talking about um, that is on the front of the, um, the book. So I guess that was the, the outfit that they put on for her. That is just so amazing. Okay. It is proposed that this little book will give plain and unvarnished a account of some scenes and adventures in the life of a woman who, though one of Earth's lowly ones and of dark cute skin, has shown an amount of heroism in her character rarely possessed by those of any station in life. Her name, we say, is advisedly and without aggression deserves to be handed down to prosperity side by side with the names of Joan of Arc, Grace Darling, and Florence Nightingale. For not one of these women has shown more courage, power, and endurance in facing danger and death to relieve human suffering than has a woman in her heroic and successful endeavors reach and save all whom she might have oppressed and suffering race and to pilot, pilot them from the land of bondage to the promised land of liberty. Well, she has been called Moses, for she has been a leader and deliverer unto hundreds of her people. That is absolutely beautiful. That really encompasses the story that we were able to hear in these last three episodes. It just shows how determined she was to get the slaves to where she had to go to the point that she brought a gun with her to make sure that they wouldn't turn back and go the other way. Like, she was so determined and she was so faithful and so courageous in everything that she did, even in the war, that it was just 
this statement itself, you can see why she was called Moses because she was amazing. She was so amazing. Worn down by her suffering and fatigues, her, her, her health permanently affected by the cruelties to which she has been subjected. She is still laboring to the utmost limit of her strength for the support of her aged parents and still also for her afflicted people. By her own efforts supporting two schools of freedom at the South and supplying them with clothes and books, never obtruding herself, never asking for charity except for her people. It is for the purpose of aiding her in ministering to the wants of her aged parents and in the hope of securing to them the little home which they are in danger of losing from inability to pay the whole amount due, which amount was partly paid when our our heroine, and for real, she's a heroine, left them to throw herself back into the work of aiding our suffering soldiers. That is the little account drawn by her by preserving endeavor is given to the friends of her humanity. Wow. So she even went as far as helping her mom and dad pay for their house. But then she had to stop because she went to help in the war. And as we learned in the story, when she came back from war, her house was like almost up for sale because she hadn't paid. And, you know, clearly she was able to pay for it because it's still standing and she did help slaves and stuff afterwards. But wow, that's so crazy. And then she never got a pension or anything. The writer of this story has till very, has till very lately known less personally of the subject of it than many others to whom she has for years been an object of interest and care. But through relations and friends in Auburn and also through Mrs. Commodore Swifts of of Geneva and her sister, who have for many years known and esteemed this wonderful woman, she has heard tales of her deed of heroism, which seemed almost too strange for belief and were invested with the charm of romance. That's so crazy because her life was so amazing that it seemed like it wasn't real, like it was too good to be true. Almost, it's, it's almost what they're saying, but it, in 1800s um, words. During a sojourn of some months in the city of Auburn, while the war was in progress, the writer used to see occasionally in her Sunday school class the aged mother of Harriet, who also some of those girls who had been bought from the South by this remarkable woman. She also wrote letters for the old people to commanding officers at South, making injuries about Harriet and receiving answers telling of her untiring devotion to our wounded and sick soldiers and of her efficient aid in various ways to the cause of the Union. By the graphic pen, of Mrs. Stowe, the incidents of such a life as that of the subject of this little memoir might be brought up into the tale of thrilling interest, equating, if not exceeding, anything of her world-renowned Uncle Tom's Cabin. But the story of Harriet Tubman needs to 
needs not the drapery of, of fiction. The bare, unadored facts are enough to stir the heart of the friends of humanity and friends of liberty and friends of their country. So they're just, it's like they're saying, like, she doesn't have, like, we don't have to make up anything at all because her life is amazing. Like, her life is more amazing than a fictional story. So y'all need to sit down and listen to this for real. Um, There are those who will sneer. There are those who have already done so at the quinetic attempt to make a heroine of a black woman and a slave. But it may possibly be that there is are that there are some natures through conceal under fair fairer skins who have not the capacity to comprehend such general and self-sacrificing devotion to the cause of others as that here delineated and therefore they resort to scorn and ridicule in order to throw um, discreet upon their whole story. And that's so true. That's even true today that people don't realize so many things. Like for instance, they're having a problem right now in Sesame Place that the characters that are dressed up in Sesame Place are saying hello and waving and, um, you know, shaking hands with white children and not with black children. And everybody's up in an uproar. But what is not being said is that Sesame Street came from a black man. Like there was a black man who wanted black children to have good television that didn't depict them as dumb or looking crazy or, you know, not knowing anything. But he wanted something that was educational and he actually made the set like the stoop in Harlem and he made sure that there were black people there. So it's it's kind of the same thing because they're they're saying, oh, she's not a hero because she's a black woman. But had it been someone of fairer skin, then it would be like, oh, yeah, like, look at everything that she did. Let's write a whole book. Let's write a bunch of books about it. You know what I mean? So that is so true. Much has been left out, which would have been highly interesting because of the impossibility of sustaining by the testimony of others and truth of Harriet's statement. But whenever it has been possible to find those who were um, cognizant with the facts stated, they have been corroborated in every particular. So which means that they researched and they they did witnesses and they corroborated and made sure that all of it was absolutely true. A few years hence, we seem to see a gathering where the wrongs of earth will be righted and the justice long delay will assert itself and perform its office. Then not few of those who had esteemed themselves the wise and noble of this world will begin with shame and take the lowest place while upon Harriet's dark head, a kind hand will be placed and her ear, a gentle voice will sound saying, friend, come up higher. The following letters to the writer from well-known and distinguished philanthropists um, honored. All right. So these, from this point, let me just make sure of my time. Um, from this point, um, these are letters that people donated to this book for Harriet Tubman. It was 
so amazing. So, so amazing. Okay. Garrett Smith and Wendell Phillip and one from Frederick Douglass addressed to Harriet Tubman will serve as the best introduction and can be given of the subject of this memoirs to their readers. Letters from the honor, the honorable Garrett Smith. This was on June 13th, 1868. My dear madam, I am happy to learn that you are to speak of the, to the public of Miss Harriet Tubman, of the remarkable events of her life. I have no personal knowledge, but the truth of them as she described them, I have no doubt. I have often listened to her and her visits to my family, and I am confident that she is not only truthful, but that she has a rare discernment and a deep and sublime philanthropy. With great respect, your friend, Garrett Smith. That is amazing. How sweet is that letter? All right. Letters from Wendell Phillip, June 16th, 1868. Dear Madam, the last time I ever saw John Brown was under his own roof and he brought Harriet Tubman to me saying, Mr. Phillip, I had, I bring you one of the best and bravest person of this continent. General Tubman, we call her. Aww. He then went on to recount her labors and sacrifices in behalf of her race. After that, Harriet spent some time in Boston airing the confidence and admiration of all those who were working for freedom. With their aid, she went to the South more than once, returning always with a squad of self-emancipated men, women, and children for whom her marvelous skill had opened the way of escape. After the war broke out, she was sent with endorsements from Governor, from Governor Andrew and his friends to South Carolina, where in service in the nation, she rendered most important and efficient aid to our army. And we know that she did that because she helped the men and she also, you know, fought in the army. In my opinion, there are few captains, perhaps few colonels who have done more for the loyal cause since the war began and few men who did before that time more for the colored race than our fearless and most sagacious, salacious friend, Harriet. Faithfully yours, Wendell Phillips. Wow. Do you know how big that is in 1868 that a black woman, not just a woman, but a black woman was put over colonels and captains in her work. And that time women couldn't even vote. Women weren't even allowed to work. And he's saying this woman right here did better than colonels and, and, um, I mean, captains and captains and colonels. How awesome is that? That is crazy. And this is Wendell Phillips. He must've been famous. Letter from Frederick Douglass. Oh my God, I'm so excited to read this. This is Frederick Douglass's words. August 29th, 1868. Dear Harriet, I am glad to know that the story of your entire life has been written 
by a kind lady and that the same is soon to be published. You ask for what you do not need when you call upon me for word of commendation. Aww. I need such words from you far more than you can need them from me, especially where your supervisor labeled and devotion of the cause of a lately um to the cause of the lately enslaved of our land are known as I know them. The difference between us is very unmarked. Most that I have done and suffered in the service of our cause has been in public and I have received much encouragement at every step of the way. You, on the other hand, have labored in a private way. I have wrought in the day, you in the night. I have had applause of the crowd and the satisfaction that comes of being approved by the multitude, while the most that you have done has been witnessed by a few trembling, scarred, and foot-sword bondmen and women, whom you have led out of the house of bondage and who have heartfelt, God bless you, has been your reward. The midnight sky and the silent stars have been the witness to your devotion to freedom and of heroism. Expecting John Brown, a sacred memory, I know of no one who has willingly accounted more perils and hardship to serve our enslaved people than you have. Much that you have done would seem improbable to those who do not know you as I know you. It is to me a great pleasure and a great privilege to bear testimony to your character and your work and to say to those to whom you may come that I regard you in every way truthful and trustworthy, your friend, Frederick Douglass. Oh my God. Like I could literally stop the podcast right there. That is amazing. He's basically saying, here I am giving speeches and getting applaud and like everyone's approving of me and white and blacks want to hear me speak. And here you are doing much more but you're only getting a little bit of like, God bless you from a slave. But the work that you did is so much more than what I'm doing. So much more, so much more bravery is needed. So much more courage is needed. And yet here I am getting the encouragement and you're not. I'm bringing, I'm bringing in the day and you're bringing in the night. Like how amazing like what an amazing amazing letter that is oh my goodness that is just wow I I'm just blown away blown away literally okay so now we get into Harry's story we're gonna start her little story um some scenes in the life of Harriet is what it's called all right Harriet Tubman, known in various times. And by the way, this book, um, Some Scenes in the Life of Harriet Tubman, was written by Sarah. 
So Sarah H. Hold on. Let me go back. Hold on. Because I want to make sure that I tell you who wrote it so that you know this is not coming from me in any way, shape or form. All right. This was written by Miss Sarah H. Bradford. And actually, I also want to tell you guys before I start reading the book that you can actually order this book online at Amazon and it's very, very cheap. It's like $5 or something. It's called Some Scenes in the Life of Harriet Tubman, written by Sarah H. Bradford. Look it up. It is on, um, the original copy is on, um, what do you call it? On Amazon. And it's like $5, $5.30 or something like that. It's not a cop, you know, it wasn't copyrighted because it was written in 1868. Okay. Harriet Tubman, known at various times and in various places by many different names, such as Moses, an allusion in her being the leader and guide to so many of her people in the exodus from the land of bondage. The conductor of the Underground Railroad and mole picture for the energy and daring by which she delivered a fugitive slave who was about to be dragged back to the South was for the first 25 years of her life, a slave in the Eastern shore of Maryland. So before she started doing that, she literally was a slave for 25 years. So her first escape was when she was 25. Um, her own master, she represents as never unnecessarily cruel, but as common among slaveholders, he often hired out his slaves and, um, to others, some of whom proved to be tyrannical and brutal to the utmost limit of their power. And we know that to be true because Harriet wound up getting, uh, you know, a head injury, a skull injury because of one of these tyrannical owners. She had worked only in as a field hand for many years following the oxen loading and unloading wood, oxen loading and unloading wood and carrying heavy burdens on which her naturally remarkable power of muscle was so developed and her feats of strength often called forth the wonder of strong laboring men. Wow. This woman was strong. And we know that from her character, but just to know that she was physically strong as well. Thus, she, thus was she preparing for the life of hardship and endurance, which lay before her for the deeds and daring she was to do and of which her ignorance and darkened mind at that time never dreamed. The first person by whom she was hired was a woman who, though married and the mother of a family, was still Miss Susan, not Mrs., Miss, even though she was married, to her slaves, as is customary in the South. The woman was, the woman was possessed um, of the good things of her life and provided liberal, liberally for her slaves so far as food and clothing went. 
So she was able to give to her slave food and clothing. They were set. Um, but she had been brought up to believe and to act upon the belief that a slave could be taught to do nothing and would do nothing but under the string of a whip. Wow. That is a different perspective to know that a person is brought up believing that because your skin is darker, you can't learn anything. And the only way that you learn is by being wit. Wow. That's crazy. Harriet, then a young girl was taken from, taken from her life in the field and having never seen the inside of a house better than a cabin and the Negro, Negro in the Negro quarters was put to housework without being told how to do anything. But how you expect us to learn how to do it if you're not going to tell us how to do it? <laughs> oh my goodness. The first thing was to put a parlor in order. Move these chairs and tables into the middle of the room, sweep the carpet, clean and dust everything and put them back in their places. There were the direct these were the directions given and Harriet was left alone to do the work. So here we have a young girl who doesn't know, has never been inside of a house ever, doesn't probably even know what, what she's talking about. And she's like, take all this furniture, put it in the middle, sweep it up, put them all back. And she's like, what? What is going on? Wow. The whip was in sight of the whip was in sight on the mantelpiece as a reminder of what was to be expected if the work was not done well. Harriet fixed the furniture as she was told to do and swept with all her strength, raising a tremendous dust. The moment she had finished sweeping, she took a dusting cloth and wiped everything so you could see your face in them. They shone so. Um, that... That's how Harriet talked. This is, these are quotes for her. She said, so you could see your face in them. They shone so. In haste to go and set the table for breakfast and do her other work, the dust which she had set flying only settled down again on chairs and table and the piano. Of course, because she has no idea how to do it because you didn't tell her. Miss Susan came in and looked around. Then came... The call for Minty, Harriet's name is Armentia, and at the South. So before she became Harriet, as we know, she took her mother's name and her husband's last name and became Harriet Tubman, but her name was Aminta, so they called her Minty. So the lady, Miss Sarah was like, Minty, get over here. So she drew up the table saying, what do you mean by doing my work this way, you you and passing her fingers on the table of the piano, she shown her the mark it made through the dust. Miss Susan, I done sweep and dust just as you told me. But the whip was already taken down and the strokes were falling on her head and face and neck. Wow. That's crazy. You don't tell me how to do anything and then you tell me to do it and then leave and I do what I can because I don't know what you want me to do 
And then you whip me because I didn't do it the way you wanted me to, but you didn't tell me how to do it. Wow. And I'm a young child. That's crazy. Four times this scene repeated before break before breakfast. Four times she did it over uh, before breakfast when during the fifth whipping, the door opened and Miss Emily came in. She was a married she was a married sister of Miss Susan and was making her a visit and though and through and though brought up with the same association as her sister seemed to have been a person of more gentle and reasonable nature not being able to endure the screams of the child any longer she came in took her sister by the arm and said if you do not stop whipping this child I will leave your house and never come back Miss Susan declared that she would not mind and she slighted her work on purpose Miss Emily said Leave me to her a few minutes. And Miss Susan left the room indignant. As soon as they were alone, Miss Emily said, Now, Minty, show me how you do your work. For the sixth time, Harriet removed all the furniture to the middle of the room. She swept, and the moment she had done sweeping, took up the dusting cloth to wipe off the furniture. Now stop there, said Miss Emily. Go away. And do some of your work. And when it is time to dust, I will call you. When the time came, she called her, explaining to her how the dust had now settled. And that if she wiped it off now, the furniture would remain bright and clean. These few words an hour or two before would have saved Harriet her whippings (laughs) for the day. And they probably did for many a day after. Wow. So just the few minutes that she took to tell Harriet how to do her chore saved her from getting whipped. And the other lady, Mrs. Susan, Miss Susan could have just told her that. That's crazy. While this woman, after working from early morning to late at night, she was obliged to sit up all night and rock a cross sick child. Wow. So after doing all of that, Harriet had to stay up all night with Miss Susan's baby. Wow. Her mistress, her mistress laid upon the bed with a whip under her pillow and slept. But if the tired nurse forgot herself for a moment, if her weary head drooped and her hand ceased to rock the cradle and the child would cry out, And then down would come the the whip upon the neck and face of the poor weary creature. Wow. The scars are still plainly visible where the whip cut her into the flesh. Wow. And this is like later, this is after her, you know, freeing slaves and being in the war and all of that. She still had scars from this woman beating her in her head and face and neck. That is crazy. Perhaps her mistress was preparing her, though she did not know it then, by the enforced habit of wakefulness for the many long nights of travel when she was a leader and guide of the weary and hunted ones who were escaping from her bondage. Miss Susan got tired of Harriet, as Harriet was determined she should do, and so abandoned her intention of buying her and sent her back to her master. 
she was next hired out to a man who inflicted upon her the lifelong injury from which she was suffering now by breaking her skull with a weight from the scales. The injury thus inflicted caused her often to fall into a state of solemnly, solemnly, from which it is almost impossible to rouse her. Disabled and sick, her flesh was wasted away. She was returned to her owner. Wow. He tried to sell her, but no one would buy her. They say they wouldn't give a sixpence for me, she said. Wow. So the master broke her skull, didn't give her any medical treatment, didn't take her to a doctor, actually put her back on the field with blood running from her head to continue to work. And then he's like, oh, she's not a good worker. Send her back to her master. That is absolutely crazy. Well, that was a lot. That was a lot. I am going to end it here. It is almost 40 minutes. Um, I have to end it here because there's so much more, but I want to go slowly because I want you guys to take in all of the stories and really just be like, wow, like it just really gives you a little bit of perspective from the slave's perspective instead of always from the master's perspective. So that you can know and see like, wow, like that was a lot. That was a lot that they went through a lot. So anyway, thank you so much for joining me. I loved, loved, loved Frederick Douglass's letter and the two other letters, but Frederick Douglass's letter really hit home and made me feel so happy that he wrote her a letter like that. And just to know that these are things that she went through in childhood and these things, staying up all night, working all day, you know, and then having this head injury where she would just be in, you know, like slumber and just be like in a trance or having a seizure. With all of that, she still freed slaves and she still was able to do everything. And it kind of trained her to be able to get stuff done later on in her life. She was used to working all day and staying up all night for days on end. You know what I mean? So it is just amazing. She is an amazing person and I cannot wait for you guys to hear this, um, this recording. This will not have a beginning or, or an end, um, because I don't want you guys to, do, to donate to me or anything for this particular episode, because this is for educational purposes only. But I love her story and I thank you so much for joining me and I can't wait for next week because I'm reading it just like you're reading it. This is the first time I'm hearing it as well and that's why I wanted to do it like this so I can give commentary and like really help it sink in without having prior knowledge. So come back next week for the next part of Harriet Tubman's um, book and... uh We'll see you next week. I love you, my little teacups, and have a wonderful evening. Bye-bye.